This is WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now, your host, Scott Walker. Right now, that time, 818, you're listening to WGNS again on this Monday morning, today, the 21st of November. And in studio with us this morning, we have Dr. Matthew Taylor, assistant professor in the MTSU School of Journalism and Strategic Media. And this morning, we'll be talking about some of Taylor's research on social media. I guess, uh, first, tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to want to dive into research on social media. Sure. Well, thanks for having me this morning. So um, I'm an assistant professor in the School of Journalism and Strategic Media. And uh, my background, I I worked for more than a decade in communications, working with uh, largely nonprofit organizations uh, in education and health. And social media was a big part of our job. I also had a personal interest in it from from some of my own work in that area. I did some um, sports media work on my own. And so I really got curious about how it's used um, and really getting into kind of a, a deeper dive with it. So uh, that aligned kind of naturally with, with research I was doing and, and other colleagues uh, are doing in our department. Hey, it seems like social media is one of those things that's, it, well, it's fascinating to say, to say the least about it because you're able to see often exactly who viewed whatever post it was that you posted about. You're able to see people's comments on it and some of those comments are not necessarily always the nicest I, I think folks sometimes go a little overboard and saying things that they normally wouldn't say when it comes to social media but how does that play a role when it comes to nonprofits? Uh, folks saying too much not enough what's happening there with nonprofits? well certainly so we just actually opened uh, a social media insights lab and normally when we're looking at social media and you mentioned the comments and the likes and this sort of thing what we can get at a basic level is almost like working with a shovel to understand our audiences this lab is like using a backhoe i mean we can uh, gather so much information if we were working for an organization what's being said online on social media and other platforms about us. Um, Understand that, understand the sentiment. You mentioned those negative comments. We have programming that will tell us, are people talking positively, negatively, or is it a neutral um, sentiment? And so for a nonprofit, it can really understand its audiences, understand where they are and which platforms maybe a nonprofit with maybe limited resources needs to be on, and also kind of um, do some prediction about what sort of things that they, they need to focus on. So it's really about understanding your audiences in a very sophisticated way. So I I guess tell us more about this lab and, and how it can be utilized maybe locally and nationwide as well. Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, as faculty, there's three areas that are are, uh, focused for us. We're expected to be excellent in teaching, uh, conducting research and service. And this lab really um, supports all of those areas. Okay, and and then with social media, you know, I know it, it can be misleading, like I mentioned in the beginning at times, because if a business, if a nonprofit, they see all right, well, 755 people viewed this post or commented on this post. Those numbers, 755, may sound big to a, a local business or nonprofit, but in reality, our community is much bigger than that. So how do you go about understanding and grasping, well, if this many people looked at it, 
how many other people are not knowing or not learning about my business or about my nonprofit? Yeah, and that's where our, our programs allow us to look more in a more sophisticated way, especially in educating students about that. I'll give you an example. Uh, my colleague, Dr. Jun Zhang, who's a co-director in the lab, uh, she has an ongoing search just for MTSU, tracking what people are saying about MTSU. And it returns some initial information to tell you about things like, oh, we've had a spike in attention. So she saw a spike in attention this fall, and we talk about sentiment, there was a lot of negative sentiment. So if we just went with what we first come up with, we might think, oh no, MTSU has a problem. But you're able to dig deeper, and what she found was the spike in sentiment was because MTSU beat Miami in football, and the reason it was negative was because it was Miami football fans commenting about MTSU. So. This really allows us to dig deeper and understand those patterns of behavior um, and not just take things at face value. When the average person goes to social media and they see a thousand comments on something because it's been spread all over the country, all over the world, do those who see it, do they think, well, if these are the comments and everybody or the majority of these comments are negative or if they're positive, this is what the majority of people think and believe. Yeah, and it's important that we're not misled. I mean, less than a third of the population, if we take Twitter, less than a third of the population is on Twitter. So it's easy to be misled and, and think this is how everyone thinks. And I think, again, that's why the critical thinking and the more sophisticated look at it is so important and they have what they call vanity metrics, which are like your retweets and likes. And there's so much focus on going viral, as they say. But really, that's why we need the types of programming, why we need this social media insights lab is to look more deeply and say what's really happening. And when we talk about even that amount of attention, it's not only just is it good attention or bad attention, but are these our key audiences? Are these the folks we're trying to reach in any type of communication? It's always about your target audience. And so this really allows us to look and say, who, you know, who is looking at this? And we write down to information like demographics, employment, a lot of uh, insight on those audiences. Again, with us today, Dr. Matthew Taylor, assistant professor in the MTSU School of Journalism and Strategic Media. When it comes to those on the outside understanding social media and the comments that are on social media, do you think there will be a point where people say to themselves, well, even though there's a thousand comments on there talking negatively or positively about the subject, I know this is not everyone's view on whatever this post is. Yeah, no, and I think that's critical. I think we need to, uh, you know, as a society be developing a more sophisticated understanding of social media and not being misled by it in a number of ways. And that even includes thinking that it represents everyone's opinion. Uh, there's lots of important things that are happening on social media, but you have to keep in mind that this is a fraction of your audience. The thing with Twitter in particular is it's very good about generating news headlines. Um, you think about political reporters, they've you know, given a lot of attention to what's been said on social media. But it can be misleading. So I think uh, in a professional capacity, uh, journalists and professionals need to be aware and looking critically at it. And then as the public, we need to be looking at it critically and understanding and keeping it in perspective. It's a really important point that you raise. You know, news in general has been around for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. But yet social media, it's brand new. I, I mean, I know it's been here for over 20 years at this point, but it's still brand new in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, it, it is. And it's interesting teaching these sorts of things because even the students, for them, they're what we call digital natives. They've grown up and known this their entire life. It's existed. Um, and so that brings an interesting perspective for me to what are students who have always had this thinking, but then especially when I teach classes that get into media history and trying to tell them there was a time when this wasn't around. There was a time when radio or TV or your newspaper was the dominant form of media and people went, you know, to fewer resources, now they're they're operating you know from the fire hose of, of information. So um, it, I think that history, even for students understanding that this hasn't always been here, and there will be something after it. It's hard to envision that, but there will be something that comes after social media. You know, you often hear people say something like, "Well, yeah, my post went viral." And then you take a look at it. Well, it was shared a thousand times. I don't know that that would be considered going viral. So where do you differentiate between, well, this post has gone viral and it'll spread two million times versus this post definitely is not viral, even though this person thinks it is. Yeah, and it's interesting. Virality can be a relative concept. I've had students in class before say to me like, oh, this student went viral. And then I look and it's what I'd consider a relatively small number of likes or retweets or whatever. Um, so part of that's relative to your audience. Um, I think the important point is to not get caught just on virality because that's a moment and it's not just about getting attention, but especially when we talk about organizations like those nonprofits, it's about sustaining meaningful attention rather than just having that big moment. So it's important not to get distracted and say, I need to go viral. And that's one of those things as we develop more of an understanding of social media. And as we get more sophisticated with it, hopefully we can move past just this feel of let's go viral to how are we using this strategically? How can we best make use of this rather than just having this big moment that we can kind of feel good about and brag about? In some of this research that is being done through MTSU and, of course, I guess you're spearheading the research on it. But in some of this research, are you also looking at those who are called influencers on social media? Certainly, so within our Social Media Insights Lab, part of what we're able to do is identify influencers, and that can really be of value to organizations where you can see not only what, what are people saying, but who's driving the conversation. And overall, what you find on social media, especially for a platform like Twitter, is that it's a small number of people that are driving the conversation. So even if you have a lot of people that are participating, it's often at a minimal level. Maybe they're retweeting, um, but those that are consistently involved, it's often a very small group. So being able to identify them um, and understand what they're doing, and maybe even potentially if you're an organization, develop a relationship there, um, that's important. So identifying your kind of key influencers is important. And now with the, the software we have in this Social Media Insights Lab, we're able to do that, both for our own purposes of helping uh, uh, students in their teaching, but then also for any organizations that want to work with us, that's something that we could do for them as well. And when we say so-and-so is an influencer on social media, what exactly are we saying? Yeah, often we, you know, we see the high-profile influencers and you know the Kardashians of the world, but there are more micro influencers that are folks that maybe they don't have the the following of those celebrities but for your organization or your area of interest they have people that trust what they say right and it's interesting seeing the shift because that's traditionally what what the media were before we had social media they were this trusted resource well now on social media we find that individuals are trusted they're kind of opinion leaders on specific topics so it's not just the size of their audience but 
do they have people that trust them and teach them as or, or treat them as trusted resources so being able to identify them who are people listening to who do they trust because trust is such a valuable commodity um, so knowing who those people are and um, kind of the audiences they have is really valuable so far in this research that you've done on social media what nonprofits kind of stand out as benefiting the most from Facebook, from Twitter, from any other social media outlets? Sure. Um, I think you know, a lot of the nonprofits that I study um, are, are at the national level and they're in an advocacy space. And what you find is a lot of those organizations that put the resources toward it can use social media to share information and to build community. The key question is how do we get people uh, to take action, whether that's volunteering, whether that's donating. And so um, it seems like social media is more the space where you can build that community and share information, identify those key influencers, and then maybe develop more relationships with them that perhaps you bring them in an in-person capacity to be volunteers, um, or you get them to do more opt-in services, whether that's emails or texts where you can communicate with them directly. At a local level, I think what we could do with nonprofits, and this is aside from research, more in terms of serving the community, is to work with nonprofits in understanding social media understanding how people are um, connecting with them online and understand their influences that maybe they can engage with that can support donations, support volunteerism, those things that really make a nonprofit what it is and make it function. Again, Dr. Matthew Taylor on the air with us this morning from the MTSU School of Journalism and Strategic Planning, or I'm sorry, Strategic Media. Uh, so in Twitter in the world of Facebook and Snapchat, just any number of social media outlets. What are you finding is the best route to go for a nonprofit to reach out to the community? I mean, what what message should they be sending out that's going to be received? I guess the easiest. Well, for any nonprofit, it starts with your mission. So you want to make sure your mission consistent um, and sticking to that. And along those lines, it's important to identify the spaces where you can find people um, that are your target audience. So it's not just being on every platform, it's being on the platforms uh, where your audience is uh, because you do have limited resources. And so finding where your audience is and uh, sharing mission consistent messaging you don't want to just chase the viral moment. You don't want to just chase what's popular because um, that might get you more attention, but it doesn't necessarily help advance as an organization. Um, so really being guided by your mission, being guided by your strategy, finding where on social media your audience is and using social media as a you know, relationship building tool. In today's times, we're bombarded by ads everywhere we go. When we watch movies when we watch tv shows when we're walking down the street no matter where you are you're literally bombarded by advertising so that being said how do we fit in a message in between all the other noise and how long of a message should that be are people receiving the message by video or by words where they're actually reading something on social media what's the best route to go yeah, that's a great question and one of the things i talk with students in my classes about they estimate you know how many ads we see in a day and the estimates start at four thousand and go up from there and it seems surprising but then when you think about the number of logos we see even in a class a student opens their laptop and there's that mac uh you know apple logo in front of them 
So we are flooded with information and getting people's attention is really challenging. And that's often why we see more extreme messages because that grabs people's attention. That's why I think understanding your audience, using the types of tools that we have in the Social Media Insights Lab, where are they? and what are their patterns of behavior so that we can reach them so that we're not just flailing about and just sending things out without understanding who's getting them um, putting in a really thoughtful approach to reach our audience and and with our, our key messages there so it really goes back to understanding that audience where they are how they can we reach them and then i mean it is important to have consistent communication but again strategic so you're not just chasing your tail and just constantly posting over and over again because social media can wear you out if you try if you try and do it all the time the attention span of people is so short today do you have a number in mind of what the average person person's attention span is uh you know, I, I don't have a, a well-researched you know uh figure for you in terms of attention span. I know generally in terms of trends, it's getting shorter and shorter. I have to guard against it myself. You know, I teach about this stuff, um, but you know, I've been on Twitter for a long time and it gives you those quick bits of information, but you're, you, it feels like your brain gets used to reading in that short fashion. So I have to turn it off and, and try and engage in a deeper reading. Um, and so it is, attention spans are getting shorter over time. And I think as, as individuals, we need to kind of guard against that by making sure that you know, we are taking the time to engage with things that require a little more thoughtfulness. Again, Dr. Matthew Taylor with us. And as we close out this segment this morning, I guess what is the next step in your research project as far as social media goes? What direction are you headed? Sure. Um, so we're getting a better understanding kind of of how how organizations are using social media, my interest in, in nonprofit uh, advocacy groups. Um, and, and so the next question really is how do we take how do organizations go from sharing information and building community to getting people to take action? Because as we talk about the time invested with social media, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. What's the return on that investment? How do we get people to volunteer? How do we get them to donate? How do we move them from that online space to that in-person space to help support our organization because that's ultimately the takeaway you need if you're going to put in that much time as an organization and is any of this information available to the public yet online sure so um if you go to uh, www.mtsu.edu insights uh, that's a page for our social media insights lab uh, where you can learn more information about it and if there are partners in the community say nonprofits that are looking for training looking for information uh, looking for us to do some research for them. We're happy to do that. Sounds great. Again, Dr. Matthew Taylor with us this morning, assistant professor in the MTSU School of Journalism and Strategic Media. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Time right now, 836. Stay with us. We do have more news and information coming up. We're broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Middle Tennessee Electric, your power supply since 1936. Hi, this is Peter Demas. One of the things that we've done years ago is we've been able to do our orders like our pastas and many other items that we used to be able to put them in large pans. And now we have a catering team that will even deliver it to your home. We can drop it off for you, set it up, or they can come in and pick it up. Look up our catering menu on www.demasrestaurants.com. This is Peter Demas at Demas's Restaurant, 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. I am very pleased with Adam's Place. All the people are very kind. I've got everything I need, and the caregivers come in and say, 
What can I do for you? Or do you need anything? We're talking with Betty Atterbury. Adams Place, one of the best places in Rutherford County. I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place. 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, Analexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Here's a question. What do you want from your electric co-op? I want expert advice on going 100% solar. I want to go green without breaking the bank. I want to meet my sustainability goals. I want solar to be simple. Done, 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 done. I want to save the planet. Little hero, let's start with one of MTE's solar programs first. Energy Service Life. That's Middle Tennessee Electric. We're here to get done what matters most to you. Learn more at MTE.com. The sunrise puffs up above the horizon. So glad to see you today. I'm Amy Watson. And I'm Ben Hill. Welcome to News Channel 5 this morning. Time to fill your day with something more than a routine. This is Sky 5 Live as uh, every day there's a brand new skyscraper <laughs> going up. This is where we connect. Come on, y'all. We are alive. We are well. We Laugh. <laughs> see the beauty of the morning. When you look out this morning in that sunrise, you get the prettiest picture. Uh, News Channel 5 helps you out the Traffic door. Traffic anchor Rebecca Schleicher joins us now with the latest. The good news is there are pretty easy alternate routes. With something more than news, weather, and traffic. News Channel 5's Nick Barris is in our Good News Alert <laughs> Center this morning. Take a good look girl. right there at this dark. Yes, Whoa. It's something to lift your spirits. Wow. If that doesn't get you going, then we need to have a chit-chat. Ben, Amy, Leland, Nikki D, Rebecca, and Nick. We are here to get you yeah. revved up and going. A better day. Wednesday it is day. Starts this morning. News Channel 5 this morning. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. We're broadcasting today from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Middle Tennessee Electric, your power supply since 1936. News time right now, 839. You're listening to WGNS on this Monday morning, today, the 21st of November. Our next guest with us today is Amy Atchison from MTSU and a professor and new chair of the Department of Political Science and International Relations. Amy, good morning to you. Good morning. So I guess tell us a little bit about your background to start this segment off. Well, as you know, I just started here at the university. I moved uh, from Valparaiso University, which is in northwest Indiana. It's a small Lutheran school that only basketball fans and Lutherans will have heard of. Um, And I got here in August. And my background is I'm from an Army family, uh, but that family happens to be from East Tennessee. So I was really excited to move back to the volunteer state. Very cool. And uh, your new role here, starting this semester after serving as faculty um, in Indiana, your new role here is focused on department, the Department of Political Science and International Relations. So what, what does that cover? Because those, those are, are big topics that could cover a wide variety of things. And we do cover a wide variety of things. We have several concentrations, majors, minors. Um, So we have a very large pre-law concentration. 
the plurality of our majors are thinking about law school. Um, but then we also have um, the field that I teach in, which is our public management and public policy concentration, which is where we help students to learn how um, state, local, and federal bureaucracy works, how to make public policy, what makes for good public policy, um, and so we prepare them to work in state, local, and federal government, which is a growing field um, and a place where you can get some really good jobs. And then we also have international relations as an undergraduate major where for students who are thinking that they want to do international affairs, international diplomacy, even international trade. Um, and then we have a variety of minors, um, including urban studies, Russian studies, which should be a little more popular these days, um, and a host of other things. But we teach classes from um, African politics to Tennessee politics and everything in between. Again with us, Dr. Amy Atchison with MTSU and looking at politics, the midterm election results and then women in politics. There are a growing number of women getting into politics and have been over the last 20 plus years. So where where are we headed, I guess, in the future when it comes to politics? Oh, um, social scientists do not do well with crystal balls because humans are involved. And you never know what people are actually going to do. And I think this is one of the things that Americans saw in these midterm elections. Because we know historically the pre president's party generally loses pretty significantly in the midterms, which is basically what people thought would, would happen this time as well. Um, there was no... There was some reason to think it might not be a huge slaughter, but no reason to think that the president's party wouldn't suffer some serious losses. You know, um, yet. I, I, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, you know, at some point there will be a, a woman who is president of the United States, and I know a lot of people have talked about that over the years. We've had women who've run to be president of the United States, but we've not seen that yet. So, I, are, or rather, is the time near? Well, so here's the interesting thing about the U.S. The U.S. is very behind in terms of women's representation in politics. Um, our percentages of women in legislatures are lower than uh, most other advanced industrial democracies. Our system is challenging for women to break into because of the way that we do primaries um, and the way we vote. Right? We have first-past-the-post elections, which means it's winner-takes-all, person with the most votes wins everything. So if you have five candidates running, which I know doesn't generally happen, somebody could win with way less than a majority of the votes. <clears throat> but because we do the primary system, parties have, I don't know, we'll call it an incentive to run the safest candidate possible in the hopes that they will win the only seat available for that district. And in general, unless that party, I mean, that, that district is incredibly reliable, a 100% safe seat for the party involved, they're going to run a more conservative candidate, a candidate that they think will win that district. And in general, they pick men to do so. Um, so basically, the way that the system is set up gives parties an incentive to run the candidate that they think will win, 
and generally they pick men. Despite the fact that research shows that when women run, women win at similar rates to their male counterparts. So will we get a woman president? Eventually. Um, but women have to be more likable than their male counterparts to win. Um, a lot of times you see people say, well, yes, I'm in support of a woman president, but just not this one. <laughs> At the same time, though, women have really made great strides in the political field and at the federal level as well. Um, we saw some really big strides at the state level. There are going to be more women governors um, in the country than ever before. Um, and we have seen some increases at the federal level. But again, we're very far behind most of our counterparts in rich democracies. And what we see, though, is that um, our Women don't love the political environment in the U.S. They don't love the nastiness of it. Um, and that's a way oversimplification, obviously, but we have limited time this morning. Um, but basically the way that politics plays out these days means that a lot of women just don't want to put themselves or their families through that. Um, and part of that is because when women receive the they, they all politicians receive hate mail. Everybody gets it. But when women receive it, it does tend to be more gendered. It tends to be threats against their family, threats against their children, and threats of sexual violence. So who wants to really put themselves through that in a high-profile campaign? Um, but the other thing that we see in the U.S. is that we are seeing more women in one particular party than the other. Um, and so what we need to see if we want gender parity is we need more conservative women to run for office because they'll win. Like I said, when women run, women win. They can win. They will win. They simply need the resources invested in them. But first we need to get them to run. And so if we ever want to get to gender parity in American politics, we need more women on the right to come out and take office. And, of course, with uh, Vice President Harris, she made history in becoming the first female vice president here in America. And I am just guessing that a, a lot of her role in the White House is probably going to, I would guess, equal what could occur in the future, depending on how well she does in that position. You know, it's been interesting because I really thought this administration would put her on the front lines a little bit more. Um, and, you know, she, um, she has a, a strong following, um, particularly among women on the left. Um, and so I kind of thought we would see her be a little bit more prominent in the same way that, say, um, Clinton made um, Gore fairly prominent. Um, and I, I really have not seen that, which is surprising to me. Um, although perhaps the administration is looking at it and saying, well, given the controversies surrounding um, race in American politics, maybe they're trying to, to keep her from being a lightning rod. I don't know, but I'm surprised that she hasn't taken um, or been put in a more 
active front-facing role in the administration. Again, joining us on the air this morning, Dr. Amy Asherson with MTSU. And uh, as we close out this segment of the show, is there somewhere online where we can find more information on different items that you're currently studying and looking into when it comes to politics? Um, sure. Actually, my specialty is women in politics, and uh, I have a Google Scholar page, so anyone just can look me up on scholar.google.com and see all of my research. And uh, again, as we close this morning, what I guess is the next step for you at MTSU? What is the big thing you're going to be focusing on? Well, I think uh, with higher education everywhere, all universities are focused on doing the best we can to serve our students and to bring more students in. And so I will be focusing on maintaining the excellence in education that MTSU provides and bringing more students into the True Blue family. Well, thank you for joining us this morning again, Dr. Amy Atchison with MTSU, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Time right now, 8.50. You're listening to WGNS again on this Monday morning. Today is the 21st of November. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSradio.com. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. CapstarBank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hey, hi, and hello there. Rutherford Issues with Brian Barrett. Fun lovers and truth seekers. Weekday mornings at 10 on WGNS AM FM Online. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.51, you're tuned to WGNS. And now on this last segment of the program, we have Dr. Jamie Teachner, adjunct songwriting professor in the Department of the Recording Industry at MTSU. And uh, your role at MTSU is in commercial songwriting. So I guess starting out, what is commercial songwriting versus, I don't know, just an individual writing a song? Well, um there's a few things. Some people get confused, and uh, thank you, first of all, for having me on. Um, but some people get confused and think commercial songwriting means that you're writing songwriting songs for commercials, uh, which is not the same. Um, basically, it's uh, avenues to make money from writing songs that will reach the popular uh, masses, okay. I guess you would say. Now, one of the things that has recently come out, I, I've seen a countless number of articles on this, is your creation of the new U.S. Space Force song, the official song. So tell us about that. Yes, sir. So I wrote for years. I was in the music industry, uh, signed to several, you know, a handful of deals that I really loved and loved being a part of that, loved writing for the radio um, commercially in the country world. But then I went into the Air Force um, in 2015 and really felt called to do that and come in and, and spend some time serving my country. And when I did that, I got to sing 
and travel and write songs and record for the Air Force. Most people don't know that existed. I didn't know that it existed until that that opportunity came about. And I um, traveled for the Air Force Academy, but I also spent a lot of time and many of my days working for Space Command. And so Space Command showed me firsthand what would eventually be the Guardians, you know, the Space Force, um, what what their mission would be. And so even though they were currently mostly airmen, you know, there, there were some Army and Navy folks in there and Marines, um, but mostly Air Force um, was, you know, doing those operations every day. And the space operators... I. You know, spent time. I went all the way up to to Greenland, up to Thule Air Base, uh, and that was 750 miles above the Arctic Circle, and that was a lot of fun. And so, when I did all that, it was setting me up. I didn't know it at the time, to uh, have an inside look at what the Space Force did, and it's it's really interesting because um, when I got to write that song, I was approached by them as they said, "Hey, there's a new there's a new branch," and so asked if I would be interested in maybe kind of throwing my name in the hat, you know, throwing a, some, something in the pile um, of possibilities. And I said I would love to. I'd be honored to write something for that. So when I sent them the song, it, um, uh, you know, I did a lot of research, making sure that I was hitting on all the appropriate um, items that were, you know, the normal day-to-day operations of the Space Force, and um, which are, you know, I mean, it's it's basically you know everything outside of the globe, um, but they don't they don't I don't know some people may not know this, but they don't fly around outside of the globe. Their their space operators are on the ground, guardians are on the ground, and they're watching our satellites and they're watching you know GPS and and things like that that they've done for years and years. But it just it finally that domain domain became important enough uh, because of outside uh, influences from other nations that they needed to have their own um, branch and so it's they didn't really change a lot from what they've done for years and years but ultimately um, the song uh, speaks about you know things that that um, you know if you think about it from them being here on the ground and watching they, they have a very strong peacetime mission and a wartime mission and so the song was written um, and sent to General Raymond and Chief Toberman uh, General Raymond was called the father of the Space Force, which I would agree with. Um, he was the first uh, chief of space operations, and he just recently retired. And Chief Toberman is the chief master sergeant of the Space Force currently. And those gentlemen are, uh, you know, brilliant minds, and they've they've done a lot to really to really further uh, the mission. Um, and so when I when I sent it to them, you know, and they got back with me, it was about a two and a half year process before that I found out that I actually had the song because a lot of people submitted other, you know, options and uh, there were a lot of arrangements that went in. And so ultimately the the finished product was the one that I wrote. And then a, a gentleman named Sean Nelson arranged and um, and it was it was adopted on September 20th of this year and we we flew up to dc and it was at national harbor maryland is where we actually um, unveiled it to to the public you know it's interesting that we have a space force first of all i i I think there's a lot of folks out there who don't realize that so i guess touch base a little bit more on how they go about guarding 
the satellites that are out there, how they go about monitoring GPS feeds that are coming in. I mean, how do they go about overseeing all this? Well, um, I, and, and I know you said it's interesting that we have a Space Force um, it's not as interesting to Air Force folks, uh, you know, especially in the role we were in. I mean, um, in 1945, you know, it was stated that we can never lose sight of the ultimate high ground. And, um, you know, China, you know, has, has you know, become a, um, you know, a threat um, in space. And, and Russia has become a threat in space and, you know, other countries as well. And, you know, China launched a satellite a few years ago that um, had a had a robotic arm that could actually, um, you know, dismantle, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and do some foul play to our satellites. And Russia, uh, you know, launched one that was kind of like one of those nesting dolls, and it came apart, came apart, and it was weaponized. And they pointed it at one of our vital satellites that was a surveillance satellite. So there's things like that that you know that that's more war uh things that you think of but imagine if our satellites went down what would happen uh first off there's a lot of what you would call trash in space which is that's pieces of satellites that you know that um you know or pieces of equipment that have come from you know from all the years of space exploration and so that's traveling at 17,500 miles an hour around the earth and so if that ever were you know to hit something you know, recently they uh, the Space Force had the uh, the International Space Station. They they told them about they were about to collide with a, a piece, and they they moved them out of the way, got them secure. Everything you know wound up being safe. But if we go to the fact of when we pay at the at the gas pump with our credit card, when we uh, when we use GPS just to go, you know, if we're driving across the country to you know see family on Thanksgiving or all the financial markets, or if we're a Marine in the middle of, you know, the desert or uh, in the, you know, somewhere trying to find, you know, how to, how to go from point A to point B, that's all space force. And so space has been around for years and years. Uh, the first real space um, war, I guess you would say, you're going to think it's going to sound like intergalactica, but it actually was a desert storm. And it was whenever that um, we were able to, our, our forces were able to use uh, the full capabilities of GPS uh, for the first time in a, in a war environment. And that was how they were able to travel across, you know, terrain that looked all very similar, you know, especially to foreign terrain that we didn't know. So, so those things like that, um, it, it seems, um, it seems like that, that uh, when we think space, we think, you know, fighting aliens, which is, you know, a lot of fun to think about, but, I don't know how fun it would be, but, <laughs> but you know, it's exciting just to think of Star Wars or Star Trek or something like that. But, uh, but truthfully, uh, we have to be careful and conscious of the things that are outside of our globe. And uh, that right now, you know, that, that, that water gets muddied very quickly if we're not keeping an eye on it and keeping us safe. And so that was the reason why it was stood up. So, I mean, um, you know, you can go and read about them if you, you know, if you want to on, um, if you, if you just Google Space Force and, and don't look up the, the, you know, Steve Carell's brilliant, but don't look up that because it doesn't say anything about the actual <laughs> Space Force. It's all fun, but yeah. it doesn't really tell what they do. Again, uh, again on this last segment, we have Dr. Jamie Teachner and uh, we ought to schedule the time for you to come back on the air because we're already out of time this morning. 
but we ought to schedule a time for you to come back on to talk even more about this because I know there's a lot more to it. Uh, so let's definitely do that in the near future. And as we close, where can folks learn more about uh, that writing of that new uh, of the new creation that you did for the U.S. Space Force? Well, uh, they they can Google that, and that that information is out there. But I do want to say before we get off, if you don't mind, um, one of the things that drew me to MTSU is the fact that the faculty cares about the students and give them they give them real world experience. I know that my students are are brilliant in my class, and I, I'm excited to see the future for what they do. They're in it because they want to learn things that are really actionable tools and items that will get them from point A to point B because they're already talented when they come in. And so I just, I think that it's something that should be noted that um, if you're interested in a, in a, you know, going into any industry that, that is related to uh, trying to make money from a creative art, especially like songwriting, uh, you should check out music, um, you know, MTSU's music uh, program, at, you know, at their songwriting program in the uh, recording industry department. And uh, you can find out more about that online and, and you can find out more about the Space Force online or the, or the anthem. It's called Semper Super, which means always above. And so I really appreciate you having me on. And I'm so grateful to be an adjunct at MTSU. Again, Dr. Jamie Teachner with us this morning from MTSU. And time right now is 9.02, so stay with us. We do have local news coming your way next. 